Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beans and Tennis Park of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Still in the uh, summer hardcourt swing. Not all the way into the hardcourt swing yet because we're definitely going to be talking some clay court tennis, which still to me at this time of the year is a little strange, and we'll get into that right away. But I want to introduce, as always, my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Steve, I mean, we're, we're, we're not, we're, we're still like at the beginning of stages of the hardcourt, summer hardcourt season, I'd say. Not truly in the middle of it yet. No, because we're, we've, got, we've got these remaining clay court events, which is stretch, uh, have stretched all the way to the end of the month here. So I think this coming week we'll start feeling like we're honing in strictly on the hardcourts and everybody's going to be start starting to focus on the preparation for the open and uh, and obviously the likes of Alcaraz and Sinner will put the clay behind them and get on to the get out of the hard courts and get ready yeah I'm glad you said that because I was talking to someone I was talking to a friend today I'm like I can't remember the last time especially July 31st where I've been invested in a clay court match I'm still a little little iffy with the scheduling of that um this was Carlos's second clay court tournament in a row he wanted to play it because he wanted to defend it, um, his title from last year. You know, he rolled his ankle yesterday. Obviously, there was a risk. He was fine with it today. Um, I want to ask you about this match, and I'll, I'll set it up for you briefly because it was really odd. Um, both Carlos and Sinner, Yannick Sinner played a good first set. Alcaraz played a good tiebreaker. Um, and you could talk about it, it, it if you want a little bit. But, but Carlos wins that first set 7-6. He's up one nothing and has loved 40 on Sinner's serve. And in my opinion, if he gets up an early break in that second set, I think it's straight sets for Carlos. I'll leave it to you to take it over from there because we all know the match was not over at one, nothing in the second set love 40. Yeah. Well, you know, those are the things you can never know. It's, it's very possible that if he breaks for two love and holds for three love that he's unstoppable. On the other hand, it was very strange the way it all unfolded from there because, as you know, there were the, the first set was all on serve. It was a really cleanly played set. They're both holding into the tiebreak. Sinner made a quite a go from 5-1 down in the tiebreak, made it close and lost at 7-5. But you, you figure, okay, I wouldn't have thought that the disappointment of squandering six break points to get up two love in the second set would have resulted in Carlos losing the last two sets one and one. So he lost six games in a row in the second set, six out of seven. Is it 12 of the last 13? And you just wonder, that's so unlike him uh, to go through a stretch like that and n- taking nothing away from Sinner, who played really well all the way through the match. It was, it, it, yeah, you just wonder, was Carlos, was he feeling the effects of the ankle and not letting on? Was he just a little mentally weary after playing two weeks in a row and being in another final, I don't know exactly what it was, but that's just uncharacteristic of him that by the start of the third set, he had not regrouped and 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 gotten his game back and started holding serve and really making a go of it because it just completely unraveled for him. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty odd. And again, to talk about the margins and, and tennis are always small. Again, you and I both kind of said it. I think if Carlos breaks uh, – Yannick early in that second set. It's it's a routine straight set type of win. I'm going to be looking forward to seeing both these guys play a ton of times. It's, going to be, it's an interesting rivalry. It's at the very early stages of it. Hopefully, they're going to be playing a ton of big matches for years to come. Um, you know, Carlos is now. All, all, 
just one thing, David, all credit to Sinner in the sense that he had just beaten Carlos at Wimbledon and to do it again is impressive uh, because you surely Carlos wanted revenge for that loss and uh, he didn't get it. And I think that Sinner, you know, it's a, it's a good win for him. It's, it may be just an ATP 250 event, but for him, it's going to be more meaningful than that, especially beating Alcaraz in the finals under any circumstances. Well, I hope both of them sleep well tonight and get some get some rest because, you know, we got some big hardcore tournaments coming up for them. Assume they're both going to be playing Montreal and then Cincinnati leading up to the Open. So hopefully they'll get some rest um, and they'll be ready to roll on the hard courts in a couple of weeks. Carlos Alcaraz, Steve, still making your climb. He's now number four. So I had, I had the hand like this. Needs to be going like this. Still number four. So we're getting close to that magic number which both you and Renee Stubbs said is a possibility. Um, it's just. Oh, I think I still, I, I, th- I still think it's a likelihood more than a possibility just because I don't really expect Rafa to play anything like a full schedule the second half of the year. We know that Novak, we could be almost certain that he won't. And again, assuming that nothing changes at the open, Novak would then have his grand slam season would be over and, he wouldn't have a chance to defend his final round points from the U.S. Open. And then you in, then Zarev is such a question mark coming back from such a serious injury. And I am not – I have doubts about how much Medvedev defends from what he won last year. Medvedev going back to defend the U.S. Open. He was in the finals indoors in Paris. He was in the final of the year-end championships. He's got a lot to protect. And for Carlos, it's like a – it, it, it's just a golden opportunity to keep chipping away at those guys and to make it into the year end championships and see what he can do there. I still say, I like, I like his chances that, that. Yeah. By, I, I by do want to ask you this question. You know, the last, he played these last two weeks and, and you know, Carlos's team and Juan Carlos Ferro, obviously very experienced as a pro they're looking at the long, uh, the long range plan for Carlos in the back of my mind, I'm like, why is he playing two tournaments, these two clay corner, clay court tournaments in a row? Is he chasing points? And I don't think that's the case. I think he just likes playing. It it, it did seem odd to me that he played these two in a row, but uh, you don't think him and their team are just chasing points. I mean, they got long term plans for this. No, oh, no, I don't think so. You know, I feel like it. I'm not entirely sure what the reasoning was to play the two clays, but. He's still got plenty of time to be ready for the U.S. Open, get a couple of hard – play Canada, Cincinnati, have a week off, be ready for the Open without any questions. So, no, I don't think it was just a points thing. I think it was just the commitment they must have made at the time. But where I share your concern is he must be careful about overplaying, period, no matter what the surface is. Right. Because he, he does keep having these recurring little problems with his ankle. <laughs> There's no doubt, you know, he's a little suspect there with, with the injuries and, and he doesn't want to get a serious injury that's going to keep him out for six weeks or anything like that. So I think his team and especially Ferrero will be Juan Carlos will be very, they'll be advising him very carefully and making certain that he, his schedule makes sense. Uh, but in the meantime, he's definitely going to see this chance and he's not going to want this chance to get away. So we, they've got to just find that balance between playing too much and maybe and maybe falling narrowly short of the goal this year and not quite getting to number one, but knowing that he could do it next year. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I now want to shift over to the hard court season. Uh, you had the tournament in Atlanta. I want to talk about a few Americans, one being uh, Ben Shelton, you know, his father, Brian, 
You remember him on the pro tour. Um, you also know him as the head coach at the University of Florida. The only the only college coach that's won an NCAA title coaching a women's team and a men's team. He won the title when he was coaching Georgia Tech. Um, and then he just recently won the title, um, you know, at, at Florida. So Ben Shelton, lefty, good size, has had very good results on the Challenger Tour. He got a wild card into Atlanta. He lost to John Isner 7-6 in the third, Steve, and he had some chances. Everybody is so high on this kid. I I, I think you're you're just as high as, as everybody else on this kid, huh? Oh, I I was very impressed. I mean, that was a good effort with a little bit of luck. He might have beaten Isner, but he certainly looked entirely comfortable playing somebody of that caliber. And he wasn't intimidated by facing a six-time champion at that event and, and knowing Isner's the size, not only the physical size of Isner, but the size of Isner's reputation. He he was not intimidated. So, yeah, I, I'm very encouraged about him. And that was a good I'd like to see him uh, take that effort with Isner. And 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 I hope we see a lot more of him on the hard courts over the summer because he was impressive. Yeah. And, and you know, another another individual I want to talk about, another American. It, it maybe seemed like I'm picking on this person. I'm not. It's just a general theme about the Americans. Tommy Paul, I think Tommy has definitely played at his highest level more consistently as he has in, in the past. He's had good results. Um he started out the week in Atlanta on fire. He smoked Jack Sox six one six one in like an hour flat. Then he cruised over um, Quan. He beat him pretty well, and then he loses to Ivashka. And to me, that's a match that you need to win. You want to get higher. Your ranking as high as can be. You got to be consistent. I still feel a lot of these Americans are up and down. Um, you know, TFO at Wimbledon, he lost that killer match in a fifth set. Who lose to Gofan? He lose to Gofan, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, right. Those are matches you got to try to win to get to that next step. And Tommy, especially, he's been playing great. We have a lot of Americans playing near their highest rankings, but those are matches you have to win to get to the next step. Yeah, I mean, yes, you do. You do. And he'll, he'll lament it. Uh, but I'm sure Brad Stein, his coach, would tell him, look, we've got a lot more tournaments this summer. You can you can make up for that. You can learn from that. And that is the great thing about tennis is, he, you know, he should have another three more tournaments at least. I would think three more before the Open thereabouts. And there's a chance for him to make amends and perhaps do it, uh, you know, at a, at, a ma- at a Masters 1000 event such as Canada or Cincinnati. And then he would forget about this one in a hurry. But if he ends up going into some kind of a loose, streak david this match that's where this match could come into play yeah i hope that it doesn't get him into a losing pattern where he thinks back on this one and says this is where i shouldn't have let that happen i don't think he will and i think uh, he's a strong-minded guy he's got a lot of mental toughness and he's got to me and in stein one of the the best coaches in tennis a hundred percent everybody talks so highly about brad stein and, and he's done great work with tommy um and yeah I, i'm with you just hope he builds and builds and builds and gets more of those consistent week in and week out results Two other Americans. Um, I want to talk about the semi because it was interesting and, you know, I, I coach and I think there was a really good coaching lesson um, between Jensen Brooksby and Francis Tifo. For those who didn't see the match, Jensen was up six, one, two, Oh, that's eight games for Jensen and one for Francis. Okay. I mean, Francis looked miserable out there. We all know how hard it is to play Jensen um, but Francis hung in there. He hung in there. And at 5-4, Jensen serving for it, TFO was so close to breaking. 
And that match was about to get very, very interesting. That last game took, I believe, over 12 minutes. And for those that, yeah. um, you know, are, are, it's such a good lesson for juniors. Yeah, Francis did not win that match. But he could have tanked it in 15, 20 minutes. That match would have been over 6-1, 6-0, right? He hung in there. That second set near the tail end of that got very, very interesting. Um, good well, lesson for juniors. Uh, it- yeah, you're right. I think there was some added tension there, though, too, because Brooksby looked like he was very frustrated about not able, not being able to close out that last game sooner, match points slipping away from him. He finally wins it. And then they had a very icy handshake, which perplexed me a little bit. I don't know. what There was no clear indication of what had led to that moment. But you know, TFO is the first guy to smile and and hug his opponent and be very, there was nothing good natured about their handshakes. I hope that whatever was going on between the two, whatever was irking either one of them or both, that they, they as fellow Americans can talk about this and, and work it out. Cause I thought that was, that was unfortunate, but you're right about the last game and it could have turned it all. And I think they both knew it. You know, if there's a break back there and the match could go three and it could have completely gotten away from Brooksby. So but I didn't I, I was that moment made me uncomfortable, David. I thought, wow, what is what is happening with these two guys? Because we didn't have it wasn't obvious to us as viewers what had had led up to it. No, I agree. And, and there was a lot of talk about the, the, the post-match celebration that Jensen did and the and the very brief handshake. And like you said, Francis is always a good sport, smiling all you know, win or lose. So hopefully it'll, they'll be able to talk it through and it's, it's nothing. Um, some interesting doubles today, by the way, it just finished. I think they're playing the doubles final maybe as we speak now, but in the semis, it was Jack Sock, Rajiv Ram. You know how good both those doubles players are. They recently played for the Davis cup team. They played Kyrgios and Kokonakis, Kyrgios and Kokonakis won in a third set super breaker. What's interesting is in Washington, DC this coming week, Sock is playing with Kyrgios. So, uh, that will definitely be entertaining. Those stands will be packed for Saka and Kyrgios playing doubles. But um, always good to see some interesting doubles matches. And, of course, Nick had not been able to play the singles, so it's good that he was fit enough to play the doubles, and hopefully we, we see him back fully fit this coming week. He's, he's, he's taking more precautions. Well, you know, he had another injury prior to Wimbledon, and he made certain that he got that resolved as well. And I think that was one of the reasons why he was able to make the finals of Wimbledon by not overdoing it, uh, uh, you know, right up to the edge of Wimbledon. And and here, I think he, again, surely wants to be at his best for the next major at the U.S. Open and make sure he doesn't overdo it prior to that. But I want to I, I want to see what his follow up act is to Wimbledon, because that was a major, major step in his career. And you'd like to see him continue to play at that level and make a go of it in New York. Yep, you and you and a lot of other tennis fans want to see how he follows that up. We'll all all eyes on Nick Kyrgios. Um, you look at the draw in, in City Open, and it, it's interesting. We've talked about Tommy Paul. He has a buy in his first round. Tommy Paul plays the winner of Nick Kyrgios and Marcus Giron. So it's not going to get any easier for Tommy Paul if he has to play. You know, Marcus is good too. I think in the way Nick has played, again, we don't know how much injury will affect his singles play, but. If Nick wins that second round match, Nick Kyrgios, Tommy Paul, that's a fun early round matchup. Well, that could be terrific. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see it with both of them in good form. We we'd have the makings of a really close three set contest, I suspect, but I do hope we get it. 
Yeah. You know, I also wanted to talk about, you know, because the city open is split, right? I think it's a 500 ATP and it's a 250 WTA. The WTA also has another tournament in San Jose. And I was looking at the draws in the, the DC draw and the San Jose draw. The San Jose draw, this sport is ridiculously tough, Steve. The possible second round matchups are Maria Sakari versus either Shelby Rogers or Bianca Andreescu. That's one of them. You have Anz Jabor versus Madison Keys. You have Coco Goff versus maybe Naomi Osaka. And you have Paula Badosa versus Ali Risk. These are possible second round matchups. To win a tournament, and I remember, and I cannot believe it's almost a year ago, I remember looking at the draw both on the ATP and the WTA when I was in Cincinnati about a year ago. And the first round, the second round matchups were impossible. Those are quarterfinal matchups at a slam. This sport is so ridiculously tough. And for you to get through a, a, a tournament like that, I mean, kudos to you, whoever is the last person standing. No, those matchups are no, they are many of them worthy of semis or finals, without a doubt. And and uh, but that's what the, that's what you've got. You've got to be prepared if you're any one of those players. That you you got to accept the fact that that's the kind of territory you're living in, and you're going to take some tough losses. And you just got to keep moving on and hope you get the right draws in in other events because those are very unkind draws for. Uh, there's there's going to be people bowing out early that that should not be doing so. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, like like I said, we're, the next time we speak, I mean, we're going to be in the thick of it. We'll still be right before um, Montreal and Toronto, but we're going to it's going to be an interesting few weeks leading up to the Open. I know you're kind of hesitant on it. I still think, Steve, and there's a lot of pressure that's starting to build. You saw Novak Djokovic practicing hard. He's trying to be as prepared as possible. I still think there's a chance. Not that he's going to get vaccinated. I don't think he's going to get vaccinated. But I think there is a chance we can still see him in New York. I do. I know you're I know you don't believe it. I know you want him to. And I know a lot of tennis fans want to. But I think there's pressure building every single day. And I think there is a chance that we will see him in New York. Well, listen, I, I, I as I've said to you previously, I, I, I would love for you to be right on that. I would love to eat crow on this because I want to, I would love to see him play. And frankly, you know, one of my uh, writing colleagues, Steve Tigner, made the point recently in a tennis.com article that, you know, and people that are unvaccinated can also pass on the virus to, to other players. So the, then you, you still wonder, you know, wh wh how is the stance based? What is the government basing their decision on? Then we have the added issue of the American players being able to be unvaccinated while foreign players cannot. I, my concern, David, is that they, it looks to me like the USTA kind of, they seem to have boxed themselves in. If they can find a way out of this without creating an uproar, terrific. But when they made the initial statement, they were very clear that they that there were going to be no exemptions. So I, I, I'm, I'll be fascinated to see. I did see the video clips that you talked about, and obviously... Novak's got to be prepared in right. just even if it's a very remote possibility that he gets in. I'm still not optimistic, but boy, the tournament would come alive. It would be a much better tournament with him in the field. We all know that for a lot of reasons. And yeah. uh, I, I still hope it can come about. We shall see. With that, enjoy. I, I know all the tennis fans are loving this time. I mean, it's the summer. There's good weather everywhere. You got great matches from the first round 
through the finals and you got tournament after tournament after tournament after tournament. This is the best time. So Steve, thank you. We're going to do this again uh, next week and we'll, we'll keep rolling. This is, this is so much fun right now. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what, what transpires in DC, David. I think that that's going to be a really interesting event because then that leads us right toward Canada. And that would be the return of Nadal if all goes according to plan. So we've got a, a really compelling couple of weeks ahead of us. Yep. Can't wait to do it again. Thanks so much, Steve. Thank you, David.